Welcome to the University of Adversity, where the only rules of the class is to hold your head up high and keep moving forward. Because when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And now, here's your host, Lance Ecos. This episode is brought to you by Mike Young, the Makeover Master. If you feel your business image might be costing you money, influence, power, and respect, then head over to makeovermaster.com to discover what their complete brand makeover experience is all about. Go check it out right now because everyone deserves to look their best. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of University of Adversity. I'm your host, Lance Isios. Today, we have a really special guest in house. He is the CEO and founder of the Global Prosperity Movement, where he's been able to impact over 10,000 people's lives. In the last six years, him and his team have been able to create $100 million in direct sales online. He has also helped over 1,000 people quit their jobs and helped over 100 people generate two hundred dollars to $500,000 per year with his systems and trainings. Don't be fooled though. It wasn't always smooth sailing and it was no success overnight. He had to overcome some difficult personal health problems as well as the loss of his beloved father, which hit him very hard. But his work ethic, determination, leadership skills have propelled him into his current success and shaped him into the leader of leaders that he is known as today. I'm super pumped to have him on. Balaj W. Cardos, welcome to the show, brother. Hey, man. I'm so excited to be here and thanks for the awesome intro. I'm excited to uh, deliver some gold to your audience and have a great conversation with you today, man. Awesome, bro. You know, your story is something that I've wanted to dive into for a while. You know, you have worked so hard to create what you have, but you've also been through a lot. So maybe just fill in the gaps, take us back to the beginning. Tell us how you're, you know, where you grew up and how it all started, brother. Yeah, man. Thanks. So <clears throat> my, my story started off um, rough, you know, some, some people, they, they had it pretty easy earlier in life and then had adversity later. I definitely started with adversity right from the beginning. Uh, I was born in Hungary. Eastern Europe. It was communist country at the time. And my parents were looking at options for giving my, well, my brother didn't, wasn't alive yet, but giving me, their family, a better opportunity than they had to become successful. And, uh, and they were looking at different opportunities to get out of Hungary because of the way that the economics and government was set up at the time. So when I was five and a half, my parents uh, figured out a, a strategy, I guess you could call it now, <laughs> um, a game plan um, to flee the country. Not just like how we're used to crossing and driving over the border, but like legitimately fleeing the country um, over into Germany. And then from there, it was a little bit easier to become um, landed immigrants and to go from, we actually applied for Australia and Canada to see where we would be accepted. And we didn't have any luck in either of those places. Um, we got rejected. And one of my favorite stories that I am so fond of um, with my dad is that uh, he was so determined and so persistent and so willing to do whatever it takes to make this happen is that he actually cold called people um, with Hungarian last names from the phone book back in the day before the internet there was actually, you know, phone books that people had access to other people's phone numbers. And he wasn't in sales. He wasn't um, in business. He didn't really have any training or uh, education at all regarding people skills and whatnot. He just was like, if I call enough people, you know, eventually someone's going to help me. That was his mentality. 
Um, and, and it's funny how later on in my life, I ended up getting into sales and doing those things, you know, to kind of go full circle, but we'll get to that in a minute. So anyways, he cold called people and finally the, he contacted a man, um, in London, Ontario, who he happened to just catch at that perfect moment, you know, like synchronicity or fate or whatever you want to call it. This guy just happened to want to do a good deed. It was like his goal. Like, he's like, I want to help somebody that can never repay me right? We, we've heard of that before. Like one of the greatest feelings is helping another human being that doesn't know who you are, doesn't know where you live, can't contact you, can't pay you back. And it's just doing it, doing it out of the kindness of your heart to help somebody else, which is such a great feeling. And that's what this, this man did. So he said, what do you need? My dad was like, listen, <laughs> actually he got hung up on a bunch of times before this. So it wasn't like the first person he kept getting hung up on and his pitch was really long. Like he tried to be like, Hey, my name's Peter and, and this is my situation. So people are like, yeah, and just hang up on him, you know? So he kept finding a way to get to the point quicker, right? We only have a few seconds to catch someone's attention. So he got pretty good at doing that. And then finally, like I said, he ran into somebody who was in the mood to help. So it was like a good match, a good fit. And this person asked, what do you need? And all we really needed was somebody on paper that could vouch for us as um, like a sponsor, and usually it would be a family member or somebody that you already knew, like a friend that is how you got into the country, but we didn't have anybody in Canada. So this person pretended to be like a friend of the family um, and picked us up at the airport. My parents couldn't speak English, um, had no money, and we had two suitcases with all of our belongings. That's all we had. And, uh, and when we got to the country, this man says, okay, I'll pick you up. I'll take you to a place to where you could... Um, become janitors in this building, um, which will then cover your rent. So if you're janitors for this apartment building, cleaning the hallways, keeping it up, keeping it nice and clean, your rent is free. And that was perfect for us because at the time we had no money anyway. And uh, my parents weren't afraid of hard work. So they're like, all right, let's do it. So that's how everything started. That's how the journey began in, um, in Canada. And it was just so crazy to think that had that guy the stranger, I don't know his name, <laughs> like you literally no idea who he is. Um, had that person not been willing to help, um, who knows where we would be? You know, maybe we would have found somebody else, maybe not. Maybe it would have discouraged my dad and he would have just said, fuck it and stayed, you know, in Hungary or Germany at the time, right? So it's always interesting to think back and go how these major um, decisions shifted and shaped our future and our destiny. And what was interesting about this guy is he told my dad after we had arrived to Canada, to never call him again. Like he's like, you can't call me if you're in trouble. You can't call me for another favor. You can't call me for another couple hundred dollars. Like we are done. Like this is it. This is the end of the road. My good deed is finished. And my dad just, you know, man to man shook his hand and said, Hey man, that's fair. That's cool. Um, which is another lesson on managing expectations, right? <laughs> Instead of it becoming like a friendship. So from there, um, my parents struggled to adjust to this different way of life in North America and Canada is very different to Hungary and Germany. So, um, you know, we had access to credit all of a sudden, um, which we didn't have back, back in Europe. So now we were able to buy shit before we could afford shit. So we were getting the car payments and the house and the appliances from the brick furniture warehouse, no interest for like 18 months and all this stuff is like free stuff, it seemed, you know? And uh, so we had on the outside looking in, we had a, a good life. We had a new car, a new house, um, all the furnitures, but then my dad was stuck working to try to keep up with all these expenses and bills that they had racked up um, to live this Canadian dream. So as a young kid growing up, I'm six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, 
I really, um, from my childlike perception, I really saw this struggle around money and this, uh, this love hate relationship with money. And it, and it drove me kind of crazy because when we had money, it would come in because my dad was in construction. He worked with his hands. So he was like a contractor. And as you probably know, contract work can be good paying work, but it's just not consistent. So when there's work, there's too much work. You possibly can't take it all on. And then when you need work, there seems to be no work at all for a week, two weeks, sometimes longer. So when the money was good, we lived like kings and queens and went out for dinner and all this, which wasn't really kings and queens, but you know, like we, we enjoyed the little bit of extra money we had. And then all of a sudden it went dry and the stress would come in and the debt would pile up and the credit cards and then the arguments would happen about money and stuff like that. So as a young kid, I was just like, man, I fucking hate money. You know, why is this happening to my family? Um, and I hated it because I didn't understand it. And then as I grew a little bit older into my teenage years, I, I developed this passion for solving the game of money um, as a way to avoid the fate of my parents getting divorced and ultimately leading um, in that direction, how it affected me as a kid and how I didn't want it to affect my kids in the future. So I actually fell in love with finding a way to become rich, to become wealthy, to make more than enough money. But it was primarily for the purpose of making sure my family in the future wouldn't fall apart because of a lack of money. And uh, that's what drove me in so many ways at a, as a young age. It um, changed who I was, it f my focus on the world. And then I started really thinking about like, how the hell am I going to make money? Because I didn't have any special skills. You know, I was in school. I hated school, by the way. I hated the regular education system. I was a class clown, got in trouble, um, rebelled against the system. If someone told me to do something, I purposely didn't want to do it. <laughs> like, even if it was good for me, I'm like, still not doing it. <laughs> um, and yeah, so that was kind of the upbringing that led me to, um, to about high school. So I'll, I'll stop you. I'll stop there and I'll let you jump in. But um, that's how everything kind of started for me. No, I love it, man. And that story's so crazy because when you think about it, just go back to the immigrant story. Like all of us in Canada, when you think about it, what if our parents, our grandparents or their parents didn't make that decision to just because they didn't know what was over here. They didn't know what was in Australia. They didn't know what was in Canada. It's like this foreign land. And it, like, it took a lot of guts, you know? Yeah. And, and we don't, I don't think a lot of people really realize the, you know, the balls and the guts it took for our ancestors to do that, you know? Crazy. Because and it's, it's, and it's like, a, it's literally an all in, like everything's on the line and you're, and there's really no turning back because you spend your last couple dollars on a flight over here. And then it's, that's it. Like there's no like return ticket home. It's a one way ticket. And then you got to figure it out from there. So yeah. it's very ballsy. Yeah. There was no like internet, like, Hey, let me look at this beforehand. Let's, no. let's look at TripAdvisor and see if, uh, <laughs> no, you know, it was, so it was pretty much these folk stories and like these, these myths and these fantasies of what's possible over there, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it's hard for us to not, you know, think about that. We have those that we have that in our genes. Everyone that's here had some sort of family that had to like pick up and go. And that mm -hmm. takes a significant amount of courage. So I'm so glad you touched on that, man. And I also want to talk about how, you know, the love and hate relationship with money. And I think anybody, I, I could really relate with your story because growing up, it was always about money seemed evil. You know, the guy next door had a boat or the guy next door is always, and then, you know, my dad would be like, oh, they must be, 
I don't know, they must be scamming or they must be like, whatever, like, why do they get that? And it's just that lack that, that, um, that scarcity mindset. And, you know, how has that specifically for you shifted in how you go about, you know, business and that, you know, like how important has that scarcity to abundance mindset, you know, helped you in your transformation over the years? It's a great question. I think one of the biggest shifts I had was early. I think I was, can't remember exactly how old, but I was in high school. And I remember catching myself, like you're saying, this, this bitter, jealous, envious, negative perception around people with nice things. So I'm a car guy. You know, I, I've always, when I was a kid, I wanted a Lambo or a Ferrari and had the poster, scholastic book order, had the poster in my bedroom on the wall, right? <clears throat> and, I, and, I, and I was like, back at that age around high school, you don't really know what it takes to, to achieve it, but anything seems possible for like a window of time, which I think everybody can relate with. Like if you wanted to be an astronaut, who says you couldn't be an astronaut? But then, but then after a certain number of years, all of a sudden you're like, but wait, like the logical part come kicks in like, Oh, I got to go to school and I got to, it's cost this much to, to even have a chance. And I got to be a wizard at math and science or whatever the qualifications may be for that particular thing. And all of a sudden this like dawns on you, like, ah, I don't think I'm good enough. You know, I don't think I can anymore. And you just kind of kill those dreams and then resort to settling for something more ordinary and um, average and whatnot. So for me, when it came to these cars, I was like, man, one day I know I'm going to have a Ferrari. One day I'm going to have a Lamborghini. But what was interesting is when I would see someone in public on the weekend somewhere driving that car that I wanted, that was on the poster on the wall, my first reaction was like, rich bastard, you know, daddy must have bought it for you. And this, these kinds of instincts came out of me in my head and sometimes out of my mouth in front of whoever I was with. And it was such a weird... Um, it was such a weird connection until someone told me, he goes, you can never have the thing that you want when you hate other people that have it, right? Like yeah. You can never have that because then simultaneously what you're saying to yourself and your subconscious is that people will hate you when you have it and nobody wants to be hated. So therefore you will self-sabotage yourself and never have it. And I was like, oh my gosh, boom, like mind blown. And I realized how, the things that I wanted, I also despised in others who already had it as opposed to congratulating them, saying something nice to them and saying, hey, man, good for you. You know, like, I'm proud of you that you got that car. I'm next, you know. Um, thanks for inspiring me. Thanks for showing me it's possible even though I don't know you. Thank you. Like, I, I would have never, ever thought like that back then. I would have never thought about looking at it from that point of view. So that was a major, major shift for me around, like, I can't hate anybody um, just because they have something that I want that I don't have yet because energetically I will never ever get to that point. Um, so I don't know what, uh, what was the next part of that question? I think I missed the, where you wanted me to go with that. Oh no, just, I mean that that's perfect, bro. I mean, just that, that realization itself, just that shift from going, you know, trying to keep up with the Joneses and hating them for it to, to being like, Hey man, that's awesome. Congratulations. I'm next. You know, that itself in, 
anybody listening out here, it's very hard for me to believe that people haven't had that thought, that sort of envy that you have for people when they have something. And, and that comes, and that, and that was the question you had about the scarcity and the abundance. Yeah. And, and yeah, to, to add to the second part of that answer was that I realized that just because, so first I had to realize I can't hate somebody for something they have that I want. And then the second part of that was just because other people have it doesn't mean I can't have it. And that's where the scarcity comes from is like, right. there's not only a, you know, a limited amount of Ferraris or something like that. There's enough based on the demand. So if, if, if they make 500 of them a year right now, but all of a sudden 5,000 people a year could afford one and, and placed an order for it, they would increase production. Simple as that. Um, there would never be that, that, Oh, you can't have one because the guy up the street has one. Sorry. You know? Um, so that was a really, really big shift for me around, um, starting to look at everything is if if something is created in the world, whether it's um, designer clothes or let's let's just use materialistic things as an example because it's easy for context. But if someone has created it, that means that you can have it too, right? So so there may be these things that seem so far out of reach, like uh, a super yacht or a, a jet or something like that. That's like really really expensive. But the fact that it has been created means that you could have it too if you simply believe you can. And then after that, obviously, there's a lot of steps that go into it. But like so often people go, oh, blah, blah, blah about these people that have those things. And it's like you can just become a part of the group of people who believe that they can own that too. And if other people have it, it's available to you. And that is that abundance mindset that started shifting in me, not quite in high school, but about 10 years ago and then developed it from there. Yeah. It's like, if somebody, why is that man? Like if somebody has it, Oh, they're taking it from me. Like it's gone. Like I can't get it now. Like it's so, and it's that competitive, I guess it probably comes from sports, you know, yeah. like that competitive edge is good for certain things, but it's not good for other things. Right. Mm -hmm. it, it's like, it develops your work ethic, your commitment and all that. But like to think that you can't have what someone else has is the wrong mindset. And I think even like Grant Cardone talks about that a lot too. And you know, uh, he, he talked about as well what you were saying. I think it was in um, the 10X rule or whatever, whatever book it was. I can't remember. But he was talking about how he had like a rich – somebody, a movie star neighbor. And he was saying that there were, or somebody was complaining about there was like a crack in the road or something. And one of his neighbors was like, well, that guy, should make, that guy should pay for it. He's making all the money. And it's just like <laughs> – it's just like such a ridiculous, such a ridiculous mindset. And that is a huge shift for people, man. So thank you for touching on that. Um, I wanted to got, dive back deep, bro, into like more of your personal story. I know that we have both uh, lost our father and it was, it's, for me, it was a very difficult time. Uh, it happened to you when you were a bit younger, you know, maybe, maybe talk us through that a little bit and, you know, a bit of the struggle, a bit of the, but what else also that you learned from it and how it is sort of helped you at um, deciding your vision for where you wanted to be? Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's a, that's a great question. And, and I feel like there are these defining moments in our life, sometimes tragedies and sometimes, you know, more positive experiences, but usually it's adversity. Usually it's um, setbacks. Usually it's failures. Usually it's tragedies that have become these monumental forks on the road. And then you decide if you're going to go left or right. You decide how you're going to um, react or respond to what happens. And usually we react first temporarily as we grieve and go through that hardship. And then we can 
have the power. This is a huge golden nugget. We have the power to change the meaning of what has happened. And so often people get stuck on the meaning that they gave a tragedy in this case, like our father's passing away. There's a meaning we gave it at the, at that time when we were emotionally hurt, when we were, um, dealing with guilt and shame and all these thoughts and emotions that come with that of we could have been there more, um, spent more time with them or had more deeper conversations and connections or whatever. All these things kind of go through your mind and through your heart. And you, you define that um, moment in time, that tragedy with a meaning, like a definition that you, that you connect to. And then years go by and you never actually go back and change the meaning. And I think that that is so huge because because it, it, it's so important, like nothing in your life has meaning except for the meaning you choose to give it. And the meaning can be changed. The definition and the meaning that you give something can be edited. Just like you can go on a computer and edit a file and be like, oh, it means this now. It's the same thing in our thoughts and our memories and going back. So that is so huge for me because um, I learned a lot from my father in different ways. And because he came from a very different life with a very different set of challenges and, and uh, how life unfolded for him and my mom were together as a family, um, I learned a lot of what I didn't want, right? So I learned a lot of what I want, wanted by an example of what I didn't want. And the thing is, is that sometimes we can feel uh, resentful or angry or, or mad about things being a certain way when we were younger or kids or what our parents did or what it didn't do. But the thing is you have to be grateful regardless because the lessons you take from it are good no matter what. Sometimes some of the best examples in life, business, partnerships, or relationships, health are an example of what not to do. It's not always the, the best mentors aren't always the ones that teach you what to do. Sometimes the best role models we don't even realize are the people who teach us what not to do because they're so fucking good at doing it the way that we don't want. So, so with that, specifically with money and jobs and careers, you know, I, I had a great example of what I didn't want because my dad was a very hardworking man. And, um, but, but as a result of the career that he had, he wasn't around very much in terms of quality time. So I knew how much that hurt me as a kid to not see him that often. And when I did see him, he was really exhausted and tired and, and couldn't really give me his full attention and, and whatnot. So, so even though I enjoyed and cherished those moments that I did get in my mind, I was like one day in the future, I have to find a way to make a living, to make an income while not sacrificing my time. So my future um, partner, my wife, my kids, um, it wouldn't have to be this trade-off right? So that was big. That was really, really, really big. Uh, my dad also taught me to dream. My dad was a relentless dreamer. Um, he would have vision boards. He, he, he really wanted two materialistic things. You know, a lot of people have long lists of, I want this and I want that. And I want this and I want that. And that's fine. I have a long list myself, nothing wrong with that. But my dad was a simple man. He wanted a sailboat, and a 745 BMW sedan, dark, deep green, <clears throat> like an emerald, deep, deep green. That's it. He's like, if I have those two things in the materialistic world, I'm the happiest man. And that's it. And uh, he would have it on his fridge. He'd have it in the bathroom. Same two pictures in you know, multiple places. He'd talk about it. He's like, 
he would speak about it in real time when we were kids, like we'd be in the car and he'd be like, you know, when, when we were going to be sailing into the sunset, like he would literally be visualizing out loud and telling us a story about something that's never happened. Um, and we were just like, cool. And we were believing it too. We're like, yeah, you know, we're going to sail in the sunset with dad one day, whatever. And, uh, and what crushed me is that he never, <clears throat> never lived those dreams. He never got the car. He never got the sailboat and he passed away so young. So, so what that instilled in me is that dreaming is beautiful. Dreaming is amazing. Even if you don't achieve your dream, he was happy, you know, like he was happy talking about his dream. So, so often in today's world, we don't share our dreams. We don't talk about our dreams because of fear of being judged or whatever, what other people think. Right. But here's the thing. You will be happier just if you talk about a dream, even if it never happens. Cause my dad was happy in those moments, happier than ever. And it was real to him, even though it was imagine We know how, how real imaginations are. Right. So he would, and he wouldn't do it privately, like alone meditating in his bedroom. He would do it in front of his sons, you know, openly. And I thought that was so beautiful. And at the same time, I'm like, man, you know, what if like, he should have got the boat, he should have got the sailboat, he should have got the car. So it is also instilled in me this um, determination to live my dreams, to experience them, to do what it takes to get there and have this sense of urgency um, around not thinking I have more time than I might, right? Because a lot of the time we assume we have more time than we really do. So it's like the sense of urgency to, to, to hustle and get there sooner. So when my dad passed, it was, he, I was 21. And that's a really, I don't think there's a, a good age for, for you to lose your dad, you know, unless you're maybe really old and it's the circle yeah. of life, it's tough. but it's tough. There's not really a good age, but for me personally, like my experience is that 21 was this like almost a man, you know, not quite a man, like a, a teenager shifting into becoming a man. And right around that time, I really, really could have used um, that, that role model, that father figure bouncing different ideas around stuff off of him and stuff. And right at that, that key moment, he was gone. So it was really tragic, um, extra tragic, I should say in that sense, because I was like, man, what am I going to do now? You know, like, like I feel even more lost and it was really, really strange. And, and at that point, I had been a big dreamer. I talked to, to my dad about goals, dreams, and what I was going to achieve, but I was also just a talker. I wasn't a doer. I wasn't an action taker. I wasn't a, a person who had achieved anything that he could have really been proud of. Like He told me he was proud of me when I won a football game, or um, he told me he was proud of me when I got a new job as a bartender, you know, and like, hey, man, that's awesome. Like I remember getting a job at the keg and there was like four or 500 people that applied and it was like three separate interviews. And, and I got one of four or five bar bar positions um, as part of the opening team. And he was so proud of me for that. But I was like, deep down, I'm like, yeah, okay, it's kind of cool, but it, it really ain't shit. You know, like there's, there's a lot more that I want to do than that. So, so until like I had no results or no success until after the age of 25. So from 21 to 24 were, were my darkest years. I, um, I was depressed. I was unmotivated. I had no drive, no direction, um, like lost my job, was living at home, was, you know, just really in the dark in the dumps. And the reason that I got out of that, one of the major reasons was being able to change the meaning of my dad's death. Like I mentioned earlier, 
and by me sulking and being a victim and being like, why me and poor me. And it was just like this, this sludge, this dark energy that just killed me. You know, like I could barely even walk cause I felt so heavy. I felt like I was getting crushed by the world. And it was a really, really sad, depressing place to be. And then all of a sudden I started to think like, am, am I going to live the rest of my life like this? Like it's been years, you know, like, am I just going to surrender and give up and be this fucking loser by every sense of the definition of the word. And, uh, and then all of a sudden I'm like, no, nah, what, you know, like if my dad was here, what would he think of me? And I just started asking these different questions. Like if I had to face him and look him in the eye and, and tell him what I was doing or what I was not doing or how I was acting or who I was being, you know, he'd be embarrassed. He would be embarrassed of what he had to do to get us to Canada. It would be, it would be a shame. You know, he would just be like, are you kidding me? After all the sacrifice and everything I've done, you're going to just squander it by acting this way. So I started totally looking at it differently. And then from there, I changed the meaning to how can I dedicate my life and my success in honor of my father? Right. And, and if I could dedicate my future and the actions that I take and the people that I can help. And if I can help people avoid cancer, like um, I do today with my business. Um, I help people stay healthier with the products that we offer people. Um, I was like, man, and I started feeling the energy shifting inside of me. Like I was sitting up straight, my chest was coming out and I was like, okay, like now I'm inspired. You know what I mean? Now I'm like, I still don't have anything. I'm still a loser. I still haven't done anything, but at least I'm in a different place to now start looking at things differently, taking a chance, you know, applying for a job, just taking these little baby steps in a better direction. And I'm so grateful for that because that taught me a really huge lesson later in life where other things happened to me that were like bad circumstances or bad luck or whatever you want to call it. And, and then I adopted this philosophy that nothing happens to you. Everything happens for you. And such a simple shift like that, even when the worst thing happens to you, right? Where everybody else would be like, oh man, I'm so sorry. I can't believe that happened to you, blah, blah, blah. You're like, no, it's okay. It happened for me. And, and people like, are like, are you serious? Like you just said that your dad dying happened for you. That's messed up. Most people can't really connect that sentence, right? And I was like, no, it did. As sad as it is, as hard as it was, as, as heartbreaking as it was, it happened for me because it shaped me into a completely different man. So the rest of my life now is going to play out differently and if he would still be in my life, I don't know. You, you never know for sure, but it could have been very different where I would have played small. I would have played average. I, I would have um, been more easily following in his footsteps in terms of his job and career and stuff and been like, that's all right. That's what my dad did. That's what I do. You know, how often do people do that? It's like generations are almost like the same thing playing over and over and over again, and there's no progress. So because he was gone, I'm like, nah, 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 nah. We can't. We can't waste what my mom and dad sacrificed to get us here. And then it opened up new doors, took me in new directions. And then the thing that really was another huge lesson, and I'll pass it back to you, was that before I had success, I had to say yes to almost everything. If there was even the slightest chance that it was an opportunity of some kind that would move me forward in my life in, in one way, shape or another, even the slightest percentage of a chance that there was something good that could come of this, I would take it and I would say yes. And, and what ended up happening was if there's 5% good in, in, a, in an equation and 95% of something is still shit, you know, you end up chalking that up as a loss. 
but you end up chalking it up as a learning experience at the same time. So all of a sudden I ended up, I ended up piling up the losses, you know, in the loss column, it was like some zero and 58 <laughs> record, you know, but I also had 58 opportunities to learn. I had 58 opportunities to be like, okay, cool. I took the chance, you know, so by saying yes, I moved forward, which is cool. Cause when you say no, you just live with regrets. You always wonder what could have been and would it have worked out or, you know, all these things playing in your head. But when you say yes and it doesn't work out, at least you can just be like, you know, okay, cool. It is what it is. It's a loss. Fine. So, so then from there, what I later had to learn is that once you have success and you're on the right path, you then have to get really good at saying no. So before success, you say yes. Yes, 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 yes. Doesn't matter. Just pretty much anything that someone throws your way, you're like, yes. Gold, bro. Just go for it. But as soon as you're on the right path and it feels aligned and fulfilled and you're going in the direction you want to go and you've experienced some level of success, whatever that level of success is defined by you, then you can't continue saying yes because it sabotages what you got going on. So then you have to always say no and really, 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 really have something amazing that counters that where you're like, actually, the no gets shifted to a yes in this situation. And I didn't do that for a long time. I continued to say yes for way too long. And um, it started to catch up with me and hurt me. And I realized like, oh man, I'm, I'm too scattered. I'm in too many places at once. I'm, I'm drained, all this kind of stuff. So that's a really huge lesson for all of you guys listening is if you're not where you want to be yet, just be, it, be, be the yes machine. And if you're on path, get really, really excited about saying no. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it really pays off. There's so much gold in there to unpack. Um, I don't even know where to start. I just want to tap in a little bit too. You know, what really hit me was how things happen for you. And this has been a big shift with me as well. And it's so hard to wrap your head around that because you, everybody's so used to being the victim, playing yeah. the victim card, external circumstances, poor me. But when you actually realize that that is where the growth happens, those challenges, those, if, you, if everything was easy all the time, you wouldn't fucking grow. Exactly. You, know, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't have to, you know, when you cut yourself, it heals, right? And then you get, your skin gets stronger. You go to the gym, you work out, it has to heal. You get muscles. It's the same. Right. And I just, I love that, man. I love how, how you, how you explain that so well. And I, um, I just, I want to paint a picture for people because, you know, me and you have known each other for a long time and everybody listening out there, you know, I, I knew Balage. we've known, we've gone a long time back. We worked together and to see, to see you grow and to see the amount of people that you've been able to impact and how you've been able to help me and so many people and to watch the growth has been phenomenal. I just, want, I, I just want everybody out there to understand like the amount that you have been able to shift you know, and, and, and grow within that, you know, the last 10 years is, is phenomenal. And um, I, just, I just love how you, know, you explain it. And so many people could get so much gold from that story, man. And I just really appreciate it. So you know, I also, I really wanted to dive into more of like your, your, how you started the, how your dad kind of probably installed that door to door mentality. Like he gets on, I didn't know that your dad was on the phone calling and all that. I, I, that's the only time that I know of that he yeah, did that. He, he was actually a handyman. Like he was the type of guy that could build anything, take anything apart, put it back together. Like he just, he just had it like pre downloaded in him to be very, very good with building 
um, putting stuff together. And I'm the opposite. I I'm like, I'm the tech yeah. person. Like I love technology. I love leverage. I love things that do shit for me. But in terms of like handiwork around the house, it's like, I got very basic skills. Like, and, and actually one other part of the story that I'll quickly touch into is I cut off the tip of my finger on my right hand. And that was actually the year I graduated high school. And, uh, and that was also a key defining moment in my life because my dad was a handyman. So I was actually, without being aware of it at that young age, about 15, 16 years old, I was starting to follow in his footsteps because my whole life I saw him work hard and get paid like pretty good by, by the hour, like 40 bucks an hour, 50 bucks an hour, which seemed like a million dollars an hour when you're a kid, right? Like everyone's making like 70 bucks an hour working at the grocery store and I could make 40, 50 bucks an hour. I was like, are you kidding me? This is amazing. And then this accident happened to me and I became a victim from that as well. Just like we're talking about with other things that happen with deaths and other tragedies. I was a victim as well. I didn't leave my house for almost 10 months. Um, I created these imaginary stories in my mind where I, it never happened, but it was vivid and it was a hundred percent real in my mind where little kids that were about eye level with where my hand would be when my hands by my side would see my hand in public and see my finger being different and shorter and, you know, like mutilated or whatever you want to call it and freak out like crying and screaming and calling me a freak and a monster and daddy, mommy, this kind of stuff. Never once happened. Um, never even close to happening. <laughs> but I was so afraid of being different. I was so afraid of this accident changing, um, being worried about what people thought of me, especially kids, which are like the most beautiful, innocent amongst all of us and having and scaring them and being this person who's responsible for their fear and like crying in this. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't leave the house. Literally for 10 months this fear crippled me, you know? Um, and then once again, victim mentality, victim story. And this was actually before my father had passed. Um, so this was earlier on. Right. And, uh, once again, I was like, I will never work with power tools. I will never work in physical labor jobs. I promised myself that. Um, and once again, who knows what I would have done in my life for a career, um, had that not happened to me. So, so am I, comfortable in saying that that 100% happened for me? Yes. At the time, did I think it happened for me? No, I was actually a quarterback and that was my throwing hand and I couldn't throw a spiral and I cried. I would try to play football and I'd go home and I'd cry because I couldn't throw a spiral and I was embarrassed. I'm like, what kind of man can't throw a spiral? And yet, not even a man, but somebody who was a quarterback for years before the accident, I couldn't throw a spiral. It was a duck. And I threw it the same way. I rolled off the fingers the same way. Everything was the exact same way. But because my finger was shorter, it, threw, it fucked things up. And I, I've since learned how to throw a spiral again. So I'm pretty happy and proud of that. But <laughs> at the time, it was like the worst thing ever. Um, so obviously, I didn't think it happened um, for me. It happened to me. And it was a victim. And why me? And why couldn't it have not happened at all? And all this kind of stuff. Um, but then that led me into customer service. It led me into being a server at a restaurant, which then I, I later discovered I love people, whereas these construction jobs were very much minimal talking, just work, 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 get paid. And these jobs now is at a restaurant, which is how we ended up meeting um, a little bit after that. 
I was like, man, I love making people happy. I love yeah. joking around. Um, I love just being part of their special occasions, birthdays and bachelorette parties and anniversaries. You get paid to hang out. You get to get paid to just exactly. and entertain people, man. <laughs> it was so cool. And then also like the challenge of having multiple tables and like keeping up with that. Yeah. And like to me, it was a totally. game and I was good at it. And I, and I had good memory. And I would try to make it harder and harder and harder on myself and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then all of a sudden someone told me that uh, you're, oh, there was these sales contests for people who could sell the most entrees. I don't know if you remember that. And I would always win them on the weekends, Friday or Saturday, like the most steaks or the most ribs or whatever. And I was like, this is so much fun. Like yeah. I remember telling people who ordered like a salad, they'd be like, yeah, I want a chicken Caesar salad. And I'd literally <laughs> look at them and I just like, like have a straight face for like a few seconds. I'd be like, no. <laughs> and they're like, what with do you, like 10 add-ons on it they're literally like what do you mean i can't have the salad i'm like you want to get the chicken and the steak combo and then like with the prawns and like i just yeah, all this the, stuff the but then what was really what was really crazy about that is you know felt really uncomfortable telling people what to eat for dinner but then they would <laughs> thank me that was the wild part at the end of the night they would thank me and be like you know what i always have caesar salads and shit at home I was just going with the usual thing I'm comfortable with. And thank you for getting this meal I would have never got on my own. And it was the best dinner ever. And they'd rave about it. And I'd be like, holy shit. So I thought like I was selling them more to win the contest, but simultaneously I'm making them happy. And then I actually shifted from that, that approach to how can I just focus on making people happier? And then I stopped focusing on the sales. I stopped focusing on the commissions. I stopped focusing on the money. Like, how can I just make people happier? How can I serve them better? How can I give them more? And my income started to go up, but it wasn't the main focus. And I was like, wow, that's a powerful lesson in, in anything. And this was way before I got into sales. And then from there, I got into door-to-door -door sales. And that was your question, like, you know, did your dad instill this in you? And he didn't instill it in me directly in the sales way. Like I know he cold called and he didn't even know that that was cold calling. That was him just being like so desperate to find a solution. He did it anyways. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we do things in our lives when we're really motivated and we really have our back against the wall that we would never do otherwise. And that was one of those situations. So I, uh, how I got into door to door is I kept getting fired from all my sales jobs or all my serving jobs because of politics and me really not being employable. I was always trying to act like an owner and uh, suggest things to improve operations. And, and I was just trying to help. I wasn't trying to be a dick or, or act like I was smarter than anybody or nothing like that. I was literally like, this doesn't make sense. And I want to give some input, like my opinion, take it if you want it. That's fine but I know that this could be better. And then they're like, who the hell are you, man? You're not a manager, you know, shut your mouth. And now, and that, that developed into them, me being a threat and him, them trying to get rid of me and this kind of stuff. So from there, I had a friend be like, it sounds like you're really good at sales. And they just kind of said it out of nowhere. And then as soon as I heard the word sales, I'll never forget it. I was so offended. I was offended. Like he just called me a criminal. Like literally that's the same feeling I had in my body. Like you a scam artist or you'd be such a good scam artist or you'd be such a good criminal, you know, something like that. Yeah, totally. And I was like, I was like, what the hell is up with that? Like, it feels so weird hearing that. And the reason why is because same thing, my mom and dad would slam the door on door to door salespeople. Um, you know, Oh, they just want to take our money. We don't need that crap. Telemarketer would call never call here again, get a real job, hang up the phone. So all this stuff subconsciously, I connected it to sales. Um, car salesmen, you know, 
everything you can think of, there was always a negativity around anything. And the reason wasn't sales. I later figured out it was because it had to do with money. It was like a job that was so closely connected to commissions, which are dollars. And my parents had such poor limiting beliefs around money that them to sales equaled money and money was the devil and the evil. So anything to do with sales, they would attack it and say it was like the worst thing ever. So when my friend said that, I was like, what? Sales? I'd be good at sales. Like my parents will disown me. What are you talking about? Like, I don't want that. And then he like, thankfully was like, what do you mean, man? Like there's good salespeople and there's bad salespeople. There's good cops. There's bad cops. There's good and evil in everything in the world, in every profession. There's people with good intentions and bad intentions. And I was like, no shit. So it's not just the profession. It's the person in the profession. And then I was like, well, that's all good. Cause I'm a good person. So I could be good at sales and do the right thing and have good values. And that, that shifted everything for me. And that's how eventually I got into door to door, which cracked everything open. Yeah, right. That's, um, <laughs> yeah, that's the journey that it's, it's crazy. Cause I remember, you know, hearing about you door to door and then, and to be able to evolve into what you've created now, man, like maybe let's let, paint a picture for everybody listening. What is the global prosperity movement? What are you like on a daily basis? What are you creating? And, and, and maybe just walk us through what you've been able to create and what your vision is with it and everything that you do on a daily basis. Yeah. Awesome. So how global prosperity movement was born is ever since I was young, I had this bit of a intuition or like a whisper inside of my heart or whatever you want to call it that would creep up here and there that would just kind of remind me that I was here for great things. I was here to impact the world in some way or another. And I never knew because it never made sense. Like I was like, I'm not that good at any one thing. Um, I, I'm not like a scientist or a um, pro athlete or an actor or these things that you would think have a lot of influence and a lot of impact to help, you know, make a big difference in the world. So it was always this weird thing. Like, why do I feel this way? Because nothing in my reality is showing up like that. So there was, it was just a huge disconnect. Then I wondered for a little while, I remember like, does everyone have this feeling inside? Is every single human being being kind of whispered to like, hey, you're here to change the world? I didn't know. I was like, is it just me or is it everybody? It was a weird, weird feeling. And then, so that kept creeping up, but I was also a failure in my outer reality in every way. Like I was like, you know, there's no sign of me being able to do that. So I kept suppressing this, like, nah, shut up. I'm not going to change anything. I'm trying to, just trying to make it to Friday right now. Okay. Just shut up. And then when I got into sales, um, through everything I just said earlier, and then I got into door to door, I realized that, um, I had the ability to make a difference one person at a time. And if I can make someone's day, if I could, um, make them smile or give them a deal. I was making a difference. And even though I wanted to change the world, it all started with the, the small daily acts and the, the little things that I could do. Like Michael Jackson says, you know, start with the man in the mirror. It's so true. But after you start with the man in the mirror, then you can go and help one person that day. And now it's not just you that's making a difference. You just help somebody else. And that was pretty much the lesson that door to door was teaching me because it was me versus me. Meaning what I mean by that is me versus my mindset, right? Because the, the negative self-talk of like a customer slamming the door in my face and calling me a loser and get off their property, I was in control of what I then told myself in my mind right after that happened. And at first, I would agree with them. I would literally be like, they're right. 
You are a loser. You are making no sales. You are out here in the rain. What the hell are you doing with your life? I would totally be on their side. The stranger who had no power over me, I gave them all the power. So then later, the same circumstances would happen and the conversation would slowly shift. I started to grow. I started to get stronger. I started to have more resilience in my mind. And I'd be like, I would, you know, give myself like a pep talk as opposed to like a cussing out. And I would just be like, and screw that guy, man. You know, you got a real job. You know, you're making a difference. So it all started there. And then as I got really good at helping people with the door to door, I started to be more objective around what my day looked like. And what I mean by that is I would actually be more self-aware to be like, how much impact am I making, right? Like here I am knocking 100, 150 doors a day, talking to maybe 30 people, and then 10 of them would be qualified and I'd get three, four, five sales. And I'm like, is that really the best use of my time? If I really do feel like I can change the world and I have gifts to offer the world, is this ever going to get me to that point? So I started realizing, nah, this isn't going to be the thing. This is a stepping stone. It's a learning curve. I'm, I'm grateful for everything that happened during those few years, but I needed something different. So then in my spare time, I started researching different business models. And one of the interesting things that if you're listening to this, that you really got to understand is that sales, influence, persuasion, those, those three skills open up the doors to anything you want to do. doesn't matter what it is. So if you're going to start somewhere with like practical skills or education on what you can start to understand is that's what it is. Persuasion, influence, sales, communication, all this type of stuff can be transferable into any industry, any profession, because Ultimately, we all influence other people. So every job, every opportunity usually deals with other people. So it's such a powerful skill. So once I realized this in like a confident way, like, wow, okay, I just took three, four years of real life street smart school education on communication, influence, persuasion, and sales. And I felt confident as a speaker, as a presenter, you know, both in person and to small groups. I was like, now what? You know, it just opened up the whole world of what could I do next? But then the, the catch 22 was, if you feel like you can do anything, you have to be extra careful in what you actually pick because it's almost like an unlimited amount of options. So then I started just studying business models. I started, I studied real estate. I studied investing. I studied these different options and avenues and I came across network marketing. And I remember like, um, learning about the industry, not like a specific company, but there's books about the industry and how it works and why it works and why it's beneficial. And I remember just being so in love with the concept, like so in love with the idea. Like I felt like it was the people's business model. It was like how the average person with, you know, a shitty background and circumstances like myself coming from a place where I had no right in being successful based on my past, um, would be given a fair opportunity and could create something special as a trampoline to other ventures, other opportunities in the future. So I was like, wow, this is so cool. You could make a mistake and go to prison, for example, and mess up your criminal record and nobody will, will employ you. But if you have the, the drive and the determination and you could still become successful in network marketing as just one example of the people's business model, like I'm saying. And then this other idea around like the win, win, win model of like, you only become successful by helping enough other people become successful. I love that. It's not how most corporations are structured right? You have the CEO at the top and you have the executive team and then everybody else has no fair equal opportunity 
to ever be the CEO of that company. And I've never resonated with that traditional model. It's not me. It's not, not who I am. So I was like, wow, this is so cool. So from there, um, I fell in love with the concept and the idea. And I was like, if I was to create a business model from scratch and I wrote all the pros and cons of what I wanted to include in this industry or this business model, I would basically create network marketing. That would be like what I would want to create. So it was already created. So I'm like, this is cool. But then at the same time, the negativity from the masses was so, so crazy. Like it was like everybody hated it or everybody felt like they got scammed or everybody felt like they got taken advantage of. So I had to overcome a lot of these beliefs. But then I asked myself, like, why is that happening? Where is that coming from? And then I realized it's the same thing as everything else. Everybody's just a victim. Everybody's just going to blame. No one's going to take accountability and responsibility and say, like, it was me. I'm the reason that I failed. You know what I'm saying? Like no one ever says that when they talk about network marketing. Like, you know what? It was my bad. I actually didn't do the work. I actually didn't read the books. I didn't actually persist long enough. No one ever says that. They say, oh, it's a scam and this, 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 and this. And then it spreads. It was just like a rumor that spread that never, ever stopped, right? And don't get me wrong. There's definitely um, circumstances where there's bad companies and bad people. Like I mentioned earlier, there's good and bad and everything. So so take it with a grain of salt, but I also saw the potential and I saw the good in what was possible. And then I made a list of all the things that I loved about it and all the things that I didn't like about it. And that's how global prosperity movement started becoming born as I was like, I want to create something that I could eliminate the, the cons that people hate as much as possible and develop something over time with mostly just the pros, the benefits and the leverage and the positive sides of it. Um, still available. And then more importantly, use it as a trampoline to accelerate yourself in the future to other things like investments and creating wealth and doing good in the world with philanthropy and making a difference in that sort of way and not having it be this end all be all that a lot of people think it is. It's like, it's completely changed my life in, in uh, six years. It's almost March 1st is six years that I've been building my business. But ever since like two and a half years in, completely set free financially, have all my freedom. You know, life's never been the same. It's incredible. But now I'm teaching people like you really can set up your family if you do it right with the right opportunity and the right pieces of the puzzle, um, which we put in place in five years. So I used to always try to sell people on like the results fast and I'm like, now I've completely shifted that to no, this is actually a long-term thing because you need to change yourself so much as a person first and foremost, before you'll ever have success on the business side of things. And, uh, and yeah, so the global prosperity movement represents how we as the people can become an inspiring example for others of what's possible by changing our own adversity, our own struggles, our own challenges into something that is positive that you've always wanted to create a life by your own design. And then after that, just start changing and helping other people one by one and paying it forward. And if we all do that as a collective, um, it eventually turns into millions of people and it does change the world. And people need to believe and understand that you can have it all. You can have both. When you choose money or freedom, you can have both. When you choose your health or spending time with your family, you can have both. When you can choose like... Um, Whatever other example you, you want where you think you have to have one or the other and pick, you can have both. It's 2019 with technology and systems and advancements and all these other things that are available to us. It's no longer a scarce 
um, limited world that so many people are still choosing to participate in. It's actually completely abundant. Anyone can have it all. Anyone can have anything. And I'm just trying to, uh, like I said, be an example of what's possible. And I moved this, this movement into momentum. And now it's been over 48,000 sales that we've done, over 100 million in sales revenue, um, countless thousands of people in 50 plus countries that have been impacted. But it all started with myself, a vision, and a couple people in my living room in Burnaby, Vancouver, Canada. And, uh, and I remember people kind of laughing and being like, bro, it's, it's not a global prosperity movement. It's like, it's like a Burnaby in your living room movement. <laughs> and I was like, true that, but you, you've seen it happen. And it's just, it's such a humbling and, um, incredible feeling. Like every day of my life feels like a dream. Like I'm, I'm living in my dream when I'm awake. It's just so, so crazy. Um, and I'll never take it for granted. I'll never forget where I came from and the crazy journey that, you know, got us here and forever love my mom and dad for those sacrifices that they made, like I shared earlier, and all the things that were these crazy setbacks and heartbreaking tragedies that I've gone through um, all happened for me. And it's, I'm so grateful for all of it. I'm grateful for you, brother. This, uh, this podcast is really turning into something special. You're doing amazing things and your, your guests are unbelievable. You're amazing. And it's so cool to see that you're living your dream too. And following this passion that I know you've had for a while and, and you finally took action on it a little while back and look what you're creating, bro. I'm so proud of you, man. It's amazing. Man, thank you so much. And yeah, it's, it's been a journey. And if it wasn't for you in the first place, you know, get it, kicking me in the ass when I, when I needed it, as far as, you know, making a change in my life, you were the person that I, it kept in the back of my mind. I'm like, fuck. I'm like, you know, you would just kind of come in and out. We, we'd have a conversation and it would, it would be in my mind and I'd be like, man. And then finally, you know, um, 2017, I decided to like, you know, pull the trigger and get in. And that was after like five years man, or something. It was a long time. <laughs> it was crazy. But you know, that year where I quit drinking really cleared all the gunk out of my brain because I was just chasing hangover to hangover, just trying to feel good. You know, it was never about, oh, what's next? What's on the horizon? It was always like, oh man, how am I going to feel okay to go to work before I can do that? Right. Very short term. Yeah. But you know, man, I want to set up a part two to this because I want to respect your time. I know you're a busy guy. I want to have a part two to this because there's so much more I want to talk about, but I want to leave the audience hanging with with part (laughs) two. I, you know, time kind of flew by here. Man, I could (laughs) talk to you all day, bro. And that's the way it is with us. I love it. You know, we we're, you know, you're so busy, you're traveling all over the world. You got so many people to, to mentor and, and, you know, coach that I know it's tough to find this time, but I just want to add, there's two more things I just want to ask you, bro. I just want to ask you if you could give one thing to the listeners to overcome adversity, to go on to, you know, achieve amazing things in their life, whatever that is they do, what would that thing be? Yeah, I think I touched on it already and I'll just use it as another reminder is to change the meaning of your past, to change the meaning of these monumental things that happened to you that shaped who you are today and redefine your story. And the thing that a lot of people don't realize is that you are the main actor in your own movie, but you're also the writer and the producer and the director. You're all of those things. So literally you could take a piece of paper and just completely change your future and your story based on the, the, the meaning that you give your past and how you reshape that into um, where you want to go as opposed to the excuse and the victim mentality of why you aren't there yet. 
And uh, I just bought this this uh, cool painting for my rec room downstairs, and it says, uh, "You you can't change the cards that you were dealt, but you can change the way you play the hand." Love and it. and that is so true. Is like we get these cards dealt to us where where we were born. Um, our circumstances, our family, our lack of money, whatever it may have been, or sometimes it's the exact opposite. You're born into wealth and that's why you get fucked up. So it's really, it really doesn't matter. I mean, I think, I think we all get fucked up in one way or another regardless, but the point is that you can still change the meaning to it at any point and don't let your past dictate your future and get super, super clear. And then the, the last thing after that is just do a lot of the inner work, do a lot of the soul work, um, you know, love yourself more and forgive yourself for your past mistakes. Um, tell yourself it's okay and just let it go. Um, we're all human beings. We're not perfect. And if we analyze ourselves too much, we can always find faults in what we could have done or what we should have done or what we could have done better or how we could have been there sooner or we should be here by now. And it's really detrimental to our health. It's detrimental to our motivation. It's detrimental to who we are as people. So just, just let go and just say, you know, I forgive myself. It's okay. I'm human and I can do better today and I can do better tomorrow. And if you do those two things and all the other things that I'm sure that you've learned through Lance's podcast and, and other places regarding, you know, success habits and putting in the work and stuff, it's, it starts with letting go of the, the past bullshit story first and foremost. And then from there, just you have a blank canvas. You have a clean slate. You can start over. You can start over any time. You know, you could literally just be like, you know what? I'm starting over right now. Um, it, it, like I said, you're the writer, you're the producer, you're the director, and you're the main star actor in your own movie. So just make it amazing and then make sure that the ending of the movie is epic and you have the power to do that. Man, so much gold in there. Everybody listening, University of Adversity, make sure you go back, listen to this, get your notepad out, take <laughs> notes. This is, this is pure fucking gold. And when Balaj speaks, he's got so much, you know, power. Um, and, you know, he's so genuine with his story. And I'm just so appreciative to have you on, brother. Where can everybody find you? Let's plug you. Let's make sure everybody can check you out, you know, find out what it is, you know, you do and, and really go into like where you are. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for that. Uh, basically anywhere on social media, I'm just my full name, Balaj W. Cardos. I'm sure it'll be in the description somewhere. You can just copy and paste it. I'm really active on Instagram would be the most number one spot and then Facebook and YouTube. And then my website is my full name.com. So you can um, download a little bit more about my full story there as well. And I give free value and trainings on just trying to help more people um, get from where they are to where they want to be. So if any of that uh, uh, applies to you or interests you, then by all means, it's, it's my pleasure to share that. Awesome, man. We're going to have all that in the show notes. You'll be able to find Balaj. I've, you know, working with him personally has helped me change my life completely, guys. So, you know, if you want to reach out and have an amazing mentor, reach out to him. Balaj W. Cardos, thanks for coming on, brother. Thanks, bro. Appreciate you, man. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you got some value from that. Without you guys, this is impossible. So I really, really appreciate it. If you enjoyed the episode and got value from it, go ahead and rate it, review it, hit that subscribe button. We want to get this to as many people as possible. and We want this thing to grow. So go ahead, rate, review, subscribe. And I can't wait for the next episode. Thank you so much. You just finished another class at the University of Adversity. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and tune in again next time for more life lessons with Lance ECOs.